We're continuing our sermon, uh, sermon mini-series uh, through, not through, but from 1 Corinthians. We will continue again today with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, reading through chapter 2, verse 5, as we consider the foolishness of God and the weakness of God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of His Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that in Your great love for us and Your rich mercy toward us, You have rescued us from our sins through Your Son, Jesus Christ, and have gathered us as Your children to dwell with You forever. Father, we ask in Jesus' name the blessing of your Holy Spirit. Would you please now open our hearts and open our minds and give spiritual understanding and insight so that we might receive your word in the power of your spirit. Speak, O Lord, for we desire to hear you speak your truth your life, your grace, your mercy, and your power into our lives. To the glory of your name, amen. The Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, it is written, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness 
and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Throughout this passage, the Apostle Paul contrasts foolishness or folly with wisdom and weakness with power. Foolishness, wisdom, weakness, power. And he does this in a very surprising, ironic kind of way. Now, ordinarily, we would expect the Scripture to speak of human folly and God's wisdom, human weakness and God's power. But as we've seen the previous two weeks, it is just the opposite. In this passage, Paul contrasts the wisdom of men with the foolishness of God, the power of men with the weakness of God. In the last two weeks, we've seen that the foolishness of God is wiser than men because on the cross of Christ, in the death of Christ, God reconciled His justice against sin with His love for sinners. No human wisdom is able to do that. On the cross of Christ, in the death of Christ, the honor and the integrity of God's perfect righteousness was upheld. And the generosity of His undeserved mercy was lavished upon sinners. No human wisdom in the world is able to conceive of such a marvelous salvation in which the holiness of God and the love of God, the righteousness of God and the mercy of God, the wrath of God and the grace of God are united in a perfect harmony. They come together in perfect unity on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the foolishness of God which is wiser than men revealed in Jesus Christ crucified. And the weakness of God, the weakness of God is stronger than men because the Son of God took upon Himself a human nature, flesh and blood without sin, and yet gave Himself up unto to death and on the cross of Christ, in the death of Christ, when Christ died, the power of death was defeated and destroyed by the weakness of God in Christ. God in Christ suffered human death and in doing so destroyed death, and therefore the weakness of God, which is stronger than men, 
is revealed as Christ destroyed death so that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so then we as individuals and as a congregation, as we've said the last two weeks, are absolutely dependent upon the wisdom of God and the power of God, or we could say, really, the foolishness of God and the weakness of God in Jesus Christ. But now today we see further that this principle of the foolishness of God and the weakness of God applies also to us, yes, to us, and has reference to us who believe in Christ. What I want you to get here is what we see in the cross of Christ, the weakness of God, the foolishness of God. That same principle is at work in us who believe, and this is, this is where we're going. Verse 26, consider your calling, the calling to faith, the, the effectual calling to faith in Jesus Christ. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The Christians in first century Corinth were not, as Paul says, wise according to worldly standards. They were not the esteemed philosophers of the city. They didn't have a reputation as the outstanding leaders of the city, nor were there many among them who were powerful according to worldly standards. (laughs) They didn't have political power. They didn't have economic power. They didn't have the power of community influence. They certainly did not have military or police power. Not many of them were of noble birth. The church in Corinth was not comprised of the upper crust, high society somebodies. For the most part, they were a bunch of nobodies. They were socially disenfranchised, politically powerless, economically marginalized, culturally insignificant. They were surrounded by an unbelieving world which looked upon them as nobodies and nothings. They regarded as foolish and weak. That is what they were by worldly standards. (laughs) That could be discouraging, couldn't it? Why would God have called them? What does Paul say? Paul says that this is, in fact, the way that God in his foolishness and weakness has always worked in order to accomplish his purposes for his glory. Now, there's a deep, deep biblical principle at work here. Listen again to verse 27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not. Now, what does that mean? I'd like for you to go with me now on a little walk through the Bible. 
For example, when the world was full of wickedness and God decided to destroy it, what means did God use to preserve and renew His creation? He chose one man out of the whole human race, Noah, together with his family, and told him to build an ark. How seriously did the unbelieving world take old Noah, weak and foolish? (laughs) How about the foolishness of that boat? How about it? When God later revealed His plan to form a particular covenant people for himself out of all the nations of the earth. What did he do to bring the blessing of salvation to all peoples? He chose one man, an unknown man, Abram, called him out of Mesopotamia to go to the land that he would show him. God promised Abram that he would make of him a great nation through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Indeed, that Abram would be the father of a multitude of nations and that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. The only problem was that Abram's wife, Sarah, had been barren all her life and was at that point already beyond the age of childbearing. So in terms of becoming the father and mother of a great nation with descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, Abram and Sarai looked weak and foolish, and God's promise would seem to be foolishness and weakness to an unbelieving observer. Now, how are you going to get even one child out of an old and barren womb? Abraham and Sarah wondered that very thing. Abraham argued with God about it because all he could see was his own physical weakness and Sarah's barrenness. And Sarah laughed at God because all she could see was the foolishness of the promise. But then what happened? Isaac was born. Isaac, in Hebrew, the name means laughter. And his birth proved, you see, that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 28, Paul says that God chose even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. God chose Isaac, you see, out of nothing. In a sense, created him out of nothing. He brought life out of an aged, barren womb to bring to nothing the human wisdom and human power that does not believe in the promises of God. And Isaac's birth out of an aged, barren womb points us to the true salvation ultimately through Jesus Christ who came forth in new life out of a cold stone tomb, barren womb, cold stone tomb. 
life comes forth. Even the birth you see of Isaac is a foreshadowing of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram with the coming of Jesus Christ. And then when the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt, what did God do to rescue them? Well, He protected a little slave boy, a nobody in the bulrushes of the Nile River. And this little Hebrew grew up as a prince of Egypt. But then the time came when God called Moses to be the leader of His people and to speak God's Word to the wise and powerful Pharaoh. Let my people go. To whom Pharaoh said, Who is this Moses? Who is this Yahweh? It's foolishness. It's weakness. <laughs> and you remember what Moses himself had said to God, Oh Lord, I am not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Oh my Lord, please, please send someone else. But God said, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. You see, the foolishness of God in choosing Moses was wiser than Pharaoh. The weakness of God in Moses was stronger than Pharaoh. During the time of the judges, the Israelites fell under the domination of the Midianites, who the Bible says were, quote, like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So again, the Israelites were under oppression. But an Israelite named Gideon managed to muster up an army of 32,000 strong soldiers. Hmm. <laughs> God didn't want His people to boast in their own strength or to trust in their own power. So God reduced Gideon's army of 32,000 down to, get this, 300 that was God's battle plan. Foolish, weak. But the outcome of that battle proved that the wisdom of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then do you remember who the greatest king of Israel was? Was he tall and strong as King Saul had been? Was he the firstborn of Jesse's sons? When the prophet Samuel had seen Jesse's first seven sons, he asked, are all your sons here? And Jesse replied, oh, well, you know, they're, they're, there's the little one, but he's out keeping the sheep. In other words, I mean, you know, you don't want to see him. <laughs> Samuel sent for him and anointed David as king of Israel, foolishness, weakness. And remember when the little shepherd went out to fight the champion of the Philistines, Goliath? David wore no helmet, no shield, carried no sword. He had only a sling and five smooth stones. By the way, that's because Goliath had four brothers. And Goliath mocked him, remember? What are you doing? You're going to fight me? you got to be kidding. This is a joke. This is a joke. 
Because David appeared foolish and weak. But David proved that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, do you see? Do you see it? Are you getting it? Over and over and over and again. And it's all pointing to Jesus. You can say that louder if you want to. You see how this biblical theme continues on, builds up, builds up, builds up until it comes to its greatest revelation in Jesus Christ, born of a poor peasant girl. Living a life of relative poverty and obscurity. Ultimately dying as a condemned criminal on a Roman cross. Derided as a fool. Rejected as a weak man who could not save himself. The entire Old Testament leads up to reveal this very thing to us. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Through Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the wisdom of God and the power of God. Take another step with me now, because this principle of God's choosing the foolish and the weak to accomplish His purposes for His glory did not stop with the death and resurrection of Jesus. You remember that after Jesus' resurrection, He gathered His 11 remaining apostles, and before His ascension into heaven, He gave them the great commission, go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, what exactly was Jesus saying? Simply put, He was saying this to 11, count them, 11, 11 men who had no social standing, no political power, no economic power, no military support, and who lived under the domination of the Roman Empire. Jesus said this to count them 11 nobodies. Go, conquer the world. Bring people of all nations into submission to my kingship. And here are your weapons, word, water, wine. Bread and the power of my spirit. Now go to it. Now that sounds like foolishness to me. And that sounds like weakness, doesn't it? But, but, But here we are. Here we are. 2,000 years later, on the other side of the globe, worshiping Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords while Caesar's body is dust and his soul is in hell. Here we are, submitting ourselves to His word, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
Now think about it a little bit more. When Jesus was teaching his disciples about the growth of the kingdom of God on earth and the growth of his church throughout history, of which we are one manifestation, the growth of his church throughout the world, he told them parables that made it sound as though his kingdom was one of weakness and foolishness. For example, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And another, the kingdom of God is... The kingdom of God, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. That little grain of a mustard seed, such a small, insignificant, apparently weak thing, but it it grows up and provides shelter for the birds of the air, and that means people of all nations. It grows to provide shelter. A little bit of leaven, so small and apparently powerless, invisible, imperceptible in three measures of flour, but eventually it leavens the whole loaf. That's how the kingdom of God through the church of Jesus Christ works in the world to show that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men because Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And here's the point, the same principle of the foolishness of God and the weakness of God continues to apply to us today and work in us today who believe the gospel. Think about it. God has called us and chosen us to be His people in Christ. Why? Not because we were wise or powerful according to worldly standards, just look at us. Really? You think that God has chosen us because we're especially wise and powerful? You think God has called us because because our our strength in numbers, our physical prowess? (laughs) We might look around at ourselves this morning and say, hmm. You know, we, 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 we think about the challenges of the culture in which we live today, right? You know, How can we face these giants? Hmm. God has chosen us for mission and ministry in the world, really? God's chosen us. He's chosen us to to make uh, an impact for His kingdom, His kingdom in Washtenaw Parish. Seems like a plan of foolishness and weakness, doesn't it? What difference, really, I mean, really, what difference could we make? The Bible says that that's the way that God has always worked. To prove that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Because Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And God has chosen us in Christ because He wants to show forth Jesus Christ. He wants to show forth the power of God and the wisdom of God through us who appear to be foolish and weak in the world. That's God's way of working. It's always been God's way of working to choose that which appears foolish and weak 
according to the world in order to accomplish his purposes for his glory. It is the way of the cross, which is the way in which God really makes his wisdom and power known in the world, the way of salvation for all who believe. Let's take one more step and apply it personally to our lives. What did Jesus say? He who would be greatest among you. He who would be greatest among you. Must be the servant of all. Unless you become like Unless you become like a little child, little child, little child, foolish, weak. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He who would be first among you must become the last. You see, it's the principle of the cross. The, the, the principle of the cross, the wisdom of God and the power of God, I mean, it's just stamped on every page of this book. And it is to be stamped on our hearts. And think about how countercultural that is in this culture in which we live. When greatness is defined as the power and position of putting other people down. Bullying and intimidation, being number one and all that stuff. That's the wisdom of the world. That's the power of the world. We're not going to get anything done for the sake of the kingdom of God if we buy into that and follow that. We're called to another way. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of laying down our lives for one another for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's the way of decreasing so that he might increase. It's the way of Jesus Christ himself who though he was equal with God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that pattern of his life is the pattern that God has been revealing 
throughout Scripture, and it is, the pa- it is the pattern of the cross which is to be emblazoned upon our hearts and expressed in our lives in order to show forth the wisdom of God and the power of God, which appears foolish and appears weak in order that no one may boast in the presence of the Lord. So, my beloved, in, as we begin this new era in our congregational life, marked by worship in this new sanctuary, let us remember that our only foundation is the foundation of, of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For Christ alone is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And let us believe that God's wisdom and God's power through Jesus Christ will be at work even in us and through us for His purposes, for His glory, though we appear to be weak and foolish. Let us therefore boast in the Lord and give all glory to Him and rely only on the power of His Spirit so that our faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. To His name be all glory and honor now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the glorious gospel of Your Son, Jesus Christ, Your wisdom, Your power, and the wonderful way in which You have chosen even us to share in the life of Your kingdom in union with Your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant us grace, we pray. That we might truly receive your word and respond in faith. That all the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.